session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. The shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. So uh, because I had a guest Monday night, a big thank you to Dr. Jennifer Galvin for joining me to talk about emotional intelligence on Monday's show. I have to talk about the books today, but before I do that, uh, I'm going to be bringing on a special guest uh, to help tell you about the Radio Hamra toy drive we're doing again, and it's because of her efforts that we get to do this and her coordinating this uh, event. And so actually, before I talk more about it, I should probably bring her on since she knows more about it. So let me bring on the air Susie Khatami. Susie Jun, thank you for joining me today. Hello, Farid Thank you for uh, your time and allowing me to speak to your um listeners and talk about our yearly toy drive project yes well thank you it's a pleasure to have you on and especially because i want to make sure everyone knows about the toy drive we are uh, starting it a little bit later this year just uh, took us a little bit to get started but we still do have time and wanted to make sure people know about the toy drive and it is i think we're, we're still so much figuring this out i think it's the fifth time we're doing this fifth year in a row but yes, either way absolutely from the beginning of um, radio hamra um, yes. i was actually working there to begin with and uh, dr Holoki was kind enough to allow me to bring this uh, very close to heart project of mine the toy drive and to the board with you and the Radio Hamra, so I'm happily doing it. And even after I left Radio Hamra's, and I'm not doing shows there anymore, but I'm still somehow affiliated. <laughs> it's part of my bigger family, and yes. um, I'm happy that I'll be doing this um, project uh, every year with you. Yes, well, we'll never let you actually leave, but yes, we're happy to always have you be a part of our Radio Hamra family here. And yes, we've been doing this now five years, so tell the listeners about the, the toy drive First of all, who we're we're gathering toys for, and then we'll get into the details of how they can donate. Absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure uh, dealing with your um, listeners every year. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone who has been participating, all your listeners who kindly every year, no matter whether it was sunshining or raining like today is in Los Angeles, they came with... a lot of toys, mm-hmm. uh, different people. Some people even send toys uh, from different states out of town, uh, which is a good time to thank everyone, really, to, uh, for them mm-hmm. to participate yeah. in this great project. What we do every year during the holiday is to get these toys, take it to the uh, UCLA uh, Metal Children's Hospital, which is here in Westwood, very close to the radio station, and uh, they're just very sick children who are not allowed to go home even during the holiday and need to stay in a hospital and be under the care of the hospital and physician, etc. So because of that, we take these brand new toys, 
unwrapped, it's very important because I know a lot of us parents have kids that already grew up, you know, they don't need the toys, and they think, well, I can get these toys for the sick children. Well, I'm afraid in this case, these kids are really sick in the hospital. Most of them have cancers, and they cannot get to any germs. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure these toys are brand new, number one. And the reason they say make sure it's unwrapped is so that the staff of the hospital, then they're able to actually see what toys are for which age group, so then they can wrap it themselves and then send it to the, you know, the kids that are appropriately aged. So on that note, we keep saying every year to make sure the toys are brand new and also unwrapped, which right. is really appreciated and is a guideline by the, by the hospital. Yes, and so uh, as you said, this is for the kids at Mattel's Children's Hospital, which mm-hmm. is maybe a, maybe a mile or two away from here at the, the radio station. Uh, but those kids are sick and are, of course, going through a lot. Many of them are there and can't go home, and so we're just trying to do something, even if it's something small, to brighten their day and brighten their holiday season a little bit. And as you mentioned, it's so important for people to keep that in mind. As you said, a lot of people think, oh, I have so much, so many toys and things for my own kids. Let me bring those in. But we need the kid, the toys and whatever it is that you bring in to be unwrapped and unused, completely brand new. As you mentioned, one, because of the germs, and we want to make sure that's why they're unused and then unwrapped because we want them to be able to, at the hospital, determine which toys could go to which kids. And if they're wrapped, they'll have to unwrap it anyway to see what's there. So uh, people can do that, and they can bring the toys here to the Radio Hamra offices and studio here in Westwood. Uh, People can mail, and as you mentioned, people sometimes do, and I'm so touched by their kindness that they, Mm -hmm. from out of state or even out of country, are so wanting to help out that they do that. But you can bring it here, and I'll give the address right now, and we'll say it a few times, and you can always call our offices or go on our website to get the address. But it's 1762 Westwood Boulevard, Suite 330, Los Angeles, California, 90024. That's Thank you, Farijan. And let's remind people who are kindly bringing the toys that since it's a radio station and there are office hours um, applied to make sure that they will do so um, days from Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Because That's otherwise, right. you know, we don't have people 24-7 there. So we want to make sure they come at the right time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, and then I did want to say, you know, some things about the kindness, uh, as you said, in years past that people have shown. But before I do that, is there a deadline that people need to have the gifts in by? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, this year um, I'm supposed to take the toys on the 18th, so I'd like for everyone who wants to participate to bring them in to the station by December 17th. So that will give me a day to wrap them and take them into the cars and take them to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So we say December 17th is our deadline, basically, to pick up the toys. Which is in about two weeks on a Tuesday, so this Yeah, December we have 17th. a couple of weeks for people to bring the toys, and, um, yeah, we'll take care of it that Great. day. Great, so December 17th is the last day. Again, please bring your toys, and they will be going to children who definitely will be wanting them and deserving them and trying to brighten up their holidays just a little bit. Um, I've seen people when I've been at the here at the studios bringing in gifts, and that's always sweet. But also sometimes I'll go into the room where we're holding them, and you see the they keep growing more and more are added to it. And it's so 
touching to me and almost brings tears to my eyes to see people who sometimes I don't see the people that are giving. And then, of course, they don't even see the recipients, but they just wanted to give something to someone, even if they couldn't see them in a true act of kindness and love. And I think it's so sweet to see people giving just to give, not to actually get something back. Well, it's the same really applied to me, Fahijan, because I can't even go see the kids Uh in the hospital. I'm not even allowed, uh, again, because of the rules and restrictions and those kids being, you know, sick and they don't want just strangers and outsiders keep going to the hospital bringing germs. So I always meet the staff on the lobby level at the hospital, and they they are the ones who actually take all the toys to the hospital and later figure out who's going to take what. Mm -hmm. So I can't even see the kids. Um, but yeah. again, you brought an excellent point that we can see the kids, but we know where it's going, and it will bring a smile to those kids who ended up in a hospital during holiday times. And it's good to just make them happy and it will bring us happiness to our lives and our kids' health and all these stuff that we all seem to believe, and I'm sure it works um, every year. Yes, exactly, and what we're looking forward to seeing what uh, people, their kindness again this year, and we'll be adding to those gifts as well ourselves. But, um, you know, kindness and, and giving is something where people almost never will regret being kind or giving and being generous, even in present, but later in life. Almost no one will regret kindness that they've shared with others. So it's always good for us to remember. And a lot of times the holiday season, even if you don't celebrate any of these holidays that are coming up, Mm -hmm. but people get more in the giving mood. And I always try to remind people that, of course, we want to be giving during this time of the year, but we hopefully will carry that spirit all the time. And remember that there's never a bad time to be kind to one another or to give to someone, whether it's through your time, through money, through, in this case, toys to, to children. We always want to focus on how we can give. And to me, uh, the definition of success and happiness comes down to how much we give in our lives, not how much we get. So I hope people, as they have in years past, will, will help us giving here. And, you know, if you can't send your gifts to us because you are far away, um, please give them to someone in your area. There's always people that are deserving and needing and wanting, and we always want to try to help. So oftentimes people will ask me how they can help in a certain cause and sometimes you might not be able to give to that person but you can Mm -hmm. give to someone else so i hope people will carry that generosity and giving spirit wherever they are absolutely a great point i'm totally on that with you anywhere which way we can help it's great and it always comes back to us i mean every year when i'm at the hospital giving these toys away on behalf of all the listeners everyone participates the joy and happiness that brings to me and my heart Mm. and happy tears that come rolls down my eyes um, makes me happy. Never mind getting those kids happy, but exactly. it just starts yeah. all within yourself. Yeah. When, um, when we give, so. it's like a win-win. We feel good, and the person we're giving to also does. And I also do want to thank you again on behalf of myself and everyone here at Radio Hamra, because you, uh, Susie, is the one that makes this relationship between us and the hospital possible and organizes this every year. So thank you again for letting us be a part of it and letting our listeners join in this giving. Thank you so much for paying attention. You're a beautiful person with a great heart yourself. I know you're doing a lot of volunteer work, helping out, which is why you appreciate what I do. Takes one to know one, Farida. (laughs) Um, Love the time you give to this um, highly important project, very close to my heart, and I wish you all the very best. Happy holidays in advance, and uh, thank you, and thanks uh, to your wonderful father, Dr. Holakui, 
and the rest of the staff who every year have been very close to this project with me and working hard to make it possible. Thank you so much. It. Thank you again, and uh, I appreciate you. And one more time, we'll say that everyone could bring gifts here to the Radio Hamra studio and offices this by December 17th. The toy must be unwrapped and completely brand new and unused, and you can bring them here anytime in the working hours, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., or you can mail them in, but please make sure they get here before December 17th if you decide to do so. Uh, and thank you in advance for everyone who will donate and be a part of this project. Again, Susie, thank you for joining me on the show, and thank you for this project. Thank you so much. God bless everyone. Happy thank holidays. You, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so big thank you again to Susie Khatami for organizing the Mattel toy drive we've been doing for the past few years here at Radio Hamra. Uh, that'll take us to our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, so, as I mentioned in the first segment, we'll now get into the books. Had a guest Monday, and then also, again, thank you to Susie for joining me to talk about the Radio Hamra toy drive for the Children's Hospital, Mattel Children's Hospital here in L.A. So now I'll get into the books. And so before I discuss the book from last week, this week's book of the week is The Limits of Whiteness, Iranian Americans and the Everyday Politics of Race. The Limits of Whiteness, Iranian Americans and the Everyday Politics of Race. I was very excited when I heard about this book a month or two ago. And then I ordered it and I actually reached out to the author Neda Marboulet, who is an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Toronto. And I'm very happy that she'll be joining me via telephone next Wednesday uh, to talk about her book, The Limits of Whiteness, Iranian Americans and the Everyday Politics of Race. So very excited and happy that she has agreed to join me to talk about this book. I'll start reading it tonight and I'm excited to read it and look at what she has to say about Iranian Americans, being an Iranian American myself, but also related to this issue of race and whiteness and those types of issues. So very excited and again, look forward to having her on the show next Wednesday to talk about her book. Uh, the book of the week from last week that I'll talk about today is The Fear of Doing Nothing, Notes of a Young Therapist by Valerie Hazanoff, The Fear of Doing Nothing. And I mentioned how I like books a lot of times by their covers, but also their titles, and especially this one, The Fear of Doing Nothing, Notes of a Young Therapist, really caught my attention because there is this, uh, there's two ways for me that the fear of doing nothing can relate to therapy or being a therapist. The first one is there is a fear that sometimes you are doing nothing. That may be, what if you're not helping a client? The work of therapy tends to be very slow. The progress tends to be slow, and sometimes you don't even see it, or sometimes you're not sure if you're seeing it. So there can be a fear at times of, am I actually helping? There's this fear of doing nothing. But then the other way that I thought that title really applies to being a therapist is sometimes it may be related to this fear of doing nothing, of not helping. You actually might do too much. You might talk too much. You might put too much pressure for the client to change or get too invested in them changing. In that way, maybe judging them or putting pressure on them to change. Um, and because of that, you might do too much, talk too much, say too much, try to force too much change in their life. And so sometimes there's this fear of doing nothing or what might appear to be nothing, which is sometimes just holding a space for someone to share their feelings, to 
feel understood, to feel that they can be uh, accepted by someone. And sometimes that can involve doing a lot less than what someone might think. And so a lot of good therapy involves not doing so much, not being so engaged. But it was also interesting because he shares a lot of thoughts and doubts about therapy and psychotherapy. And he goes back to his grad school days and how he at times had a hard time relating to things that were being taught, theories, uh, does it make sense? Is this really the right way of doing things? And I think many people can relate to that in any field. I think therapy is a big one or psychotherapy and psychology is a big one. When you get into it, people tend to think in a certain way and they don't even realize that they are limited or thinking in a limited type of way. Or there's ways that we've always done things that we just take for granted, but it can sometimes take a new perspective, someone from the outside or someone new to recognize that, well, why do we do it this way? Why does it have to be this way? Can there be another way? Um, and even, you know, times he'll bring up things like, are we sure that by having someone open up, that'll be good for them? There is really this default we have, and I know I have it too, that if someone has some stuff inside of them, it should come out. And I think most of the time that's true, that it's causing issues behind the scenes or unconsciously, or it is affecting them in some way, and it's better to be aware of it. But it's possible that sometimes it's not better. And so having that assumption always there that this is always the right way to do things can actually get in the way of helping. Um, he also shares stories of different clients and sometimes uh, breaking some of the rules or breaking some of the boundaries. And there's a lot of gray area when it comes to therapy and what it means to be a good therapist or what we should never do or what we should do. So for example, he is outside with a client because he's seeing a client in an inpatient type of facility and they're outside and she wants a coffee and so she needs a dollar from him. And so he he shares how all these things go through his head about what he's doing being wrong or baking the boundaries, but he does it anyway and it feels okay. And so there is something I, I liked about the way he talked about psychotherapy in general, which is that it is between two humans. And this is when we're talking about individual therapy. And sometimes when we get too fixated on techniques and certain ways of doing therapy, that this is the right way, it can almost sterilize that relationship between two people. And ultimately, as he also mentions in the book, uh, what we seem to see is beneficial in therapy is the relationship between the client and therapist above and beyond things like specific techniques or theoretical orientations. It's how you create that connection. And that is going to be unique to the individual. That's going to mean you have to see that person as a full human being, but also you have to be a full human being and you have to exist in the room. And that can be a tough balance because if you are in the room too much and it's too much about you, that can mean that you're not allowing your client the space and that could be a problem. But also I think if you're too closed off in who you are, then that'll limit how much your client can connect to you as well. So various themes like this come up throughout the book. And I thought it was interesting if you are a therapist, even if you're not, you'll probably find it interesting because he shares different types of uh, information or different things, lessons here and there that he learned about himself, about therapy, but that could really apply to anyone. And I found that interesting to see his experience as myself, a therapist and remembering going through grad school and actually related to that. I remember myself uh, in my first sessions. And so he shares some of that, his first sessions as a a graduate student. And it was a very mechanical or robotic experience as far as how I was being. I would 
sit in the room with the client and just think, okay, what is the appropriate thing to say now? What did my professor or my supervisor say? Or what did I learn in this book that I'm supposed to do now? And one thing he does mention, which I thought was very interesting too, is that a lot of times you read these theories and they sound really good and nice and make a lot of sense. And you can see that there's truth there or things to be learned. But then how does that translate into actual therapy? A lot of times there's a big gap there. Or a lot of times we don't get taught that as well. So the theory sounds nice, but how does it actually translate into practice? Oftentimes there's a lot missing there. But I remember myself, as I was saying, being very mechanical, very much just saying, okay, what's the right thing? Am I supposed to reflect now? Am I supposed to do this type of intervention? Should I use this kind of technique? Should I give this kind of homework to them? Um, and it was very much me just thinking about it in a maybe you can say purely logical way now that I'm thinking about it and I wasn't as touch with my own feelings. Uh, but over time, as I got more confident, more comfortable with myself as a therapist, more aware that the process has to unfold a little bit more than you have to force it to unfold, that's something actually I enjoy about a therapy session is a lot of times you don't know uh, what the, ther the client is going to come in with and where the session is going to go where is he or she going to take you and where are you going to go with them and where will you end up? And that part is a kind of an exciting and to me fascinating part of the therapy experience, sometimes a little bit scary too because you don't know where it's going to go and how you're going to do and how you're going to handle it. But you have to let it unfold a little bit more than you just force it down a certain direction. And so a lot of what will happen with clients now is I realize it's not a specific technique but it's based on me being myself more and more, me being comfortable with who I am, not just being the lost, uh, I said logical and rational together, the logical and rational side that's thinking what's the correct technique now, but more being in touch with what you can call intuition, that my own emotional side is being a part of it too. And that blend, I think, actually lends itself much more to a human connection. Just like if you're talking to someone and they respond in a very mechanical way, it doesn't feel genuine. You don't connect to that. And I think people in general and clients in therapy, they feel either your genuineness or that lack of being genuine, and it allows them either to connect or make it difficult for them to connect. So it was interesting seeing Valerie uh, go through that process and describing how he's gone through that. And you can see he does approach things a little bit differently. He's, I think, Russian descent, but grew up in Israel. And he says, he does realize he thinks maybe differently than the typical American does, and that's for better and for worse, allows him to see things differently at times. And so you hear him share different experiences with different clients, and uh, most chapters focus on a particular client and his uh, experience with them, including a group of men. So he was running a men's group, and that was interesting looking at men and the issues they can have with being vulnerable and being open and accepting really what's going on and noticing their own weaknesses and their own um, vulnerabilities. That was very interesting. Uh, he also was with a, a woman who was very, very focused on her status and how she felt, but seeing how he got to the deeper issues with them. And it wasn't that he always had a plan, but that he was able to get there with them was very interesting. Or he works with a couple that comes in and makes it seem like everything's okay and he realized that he was buying into it too. That, yeah, you know, this couple's okay. Why are they even coming to therapy? It seems like they're handling it okay. The husband had a minor stroke, 
and after that stroke had a manic episode and was acting very differently for a short period of time and the thought was that the therapy was just to focus on getting them back to dealing with what happened during this this kind of aberration in their relationship but everything's okay is what they were basically telling him and he was buying into it until he realized it wasn't okay and he was getting uh, lost in their defenses and not seeing that they probably had some issues that were unresolved from even before the marriage, before the, sorry, the stroke that the husband had. So rather than this mindset that we have to get them back to how it was before the stroke, he realized that that wasn't the whole issue. There was issues before that were not being dealt with too. And so they slowly got into those and started to address those issues. Uh, and it was interesting to see that process. And so this is what makes therapy so interesting is that we can get caught up with the clients. We might get caught into their world too much. We're listening to them and that's good, but we might not see what the reality is of their life to actually help them if we get too caught up. But if we're too distant, that's not good either. So a lot of relationships in general, but a lot of psychotherapy involves balancing these types of extremes or these different uh, fine lines. What's close and too close? Where does that line exist? Where is you can share about yourself to overly indulging and making the therapy about you? How do you figure that out? Where are boundaries in general appropriate and where, where does it mean uh, it's better to be flexible? Where does that need to be more flexible? These are all the different things amongst many others that as a therapist, we always have to be mindful of and being aware that it isn't so black and white. And that's what can make it a little bit scary because you're not sure. You might share something about yourself as a therapist and ther some therapists never share anything uh, from their orientation and their way of approaching therapies that they should have essentially nothing be a blank slate for the client to put their own unconscious wishes, feelings, unresolved issues onto you and relationships. Uh, other therapists will be more open and so they can see that there can be meaning and uh, benefit of being a little more open to allow the client to connect to you more. And so people will strongly disagree about that and fight tooth and nail about what's the right way of doing this. But I, I agree with him, the author of this book, Valerie Hazanoff, that it's not always so black and white. And I don't think it is. And I think we sometimes want to make it black and white to make it easier on ourselves, but it definitely is not always the case. So I'd always also recommend this book um, to people who have been or want to be in therapy, because I think a lot of times people have these images of therapy that make it scary or intimidating that you walk in a room and that the therapist is analyzing everything you do in this judgmental negative way and they're going to make you feel bad and they're going to make you feel all these types of things or that it's some kind of different type of thing that they've never experienced that makes it scary when really it's just in a lot of ways two people being in a room having a conversation of course, it might feel different than typical conversations, but it still boils down to that, two people connecting. And that human side, that humanistic side of uh, therapy or psychology or general, just looking at relationships, I think you feel in this book um, where he shares his different clients, you definitely feel like he cares about them and sees them as, as a human being and describes that and, and explains that or shows how he related to them in that way. But I also think you feel him as a human being too not as some expert or someone who knows it all or who has everything put together and their whole life is put together, even though clients at times assume that about him. But he does show himself 
as a human being. And I think when you are a human being, it allows others to connect to you as well. And through that connection, a lot of times is where the healing happens. And uh, I, I thought it was very insightful to see how he managed that or understood that about himself. So I would recommend this book. If you're a therapist, definitely I think it's it's a good read for you. And you'll probably relate to a lot of what he goes through. Um, but even in general, I found it interesting, the the stories he shares and, and the insights he, he shares along the way. So that was The Fear of Doing Nothing. Notes of a Young Therapist by Valerie Hazanov. And again, the book of the week for this week is The Limits of Whiteness, Iranian Americans, and the Everyday Politics of Race by Neda Mahbouleh. And she'll be joining me next Wednesday on the show to talk about her book. All right, we've reached another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller now. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling about my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Well, she's 11 years old. Their parents got divorced, I think, almost three, three years ago, maybe a little bit more. Uh, that affect my granddaughter that uh, pretty much uh, she was very jealous of her brother and she didn't listen to mom and it's now is getting a little bit worse. How old is um, the brother? The, worst, the brother is eight years old. Eight. Okay. Yeah. When they're watching TV or sitting, sitting on the couch and uh, she push her, push him and pull him here, there, and the worst thing I'm worried about is uh, she uh, peeled of her uh, scab, if she has any scab mm-hmm. on her uh, skin, mm-hmm. or even recently on her nose and her hand, and she peeled uh, the skin. <clears throat> it gets so red and just like she falls right now on the floor and so red and bleeds. Not bleeding, but look like bleeding. Mm-hmm. And uh, when uh, my friend asked her uh, what happened to your face, uh, she didn't. She said nothing. Nothing. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to say anything. And I afraid even to ask because I know I shouldn't ask. I heard that, but uh, I yeah. Well, we know. know we know how she got it, and really, you're not asking to ask. You're asking because you're indirectly wanting to tell her to stop doing it. So. Yeah, you know, so I that's why I think your 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 instinct that you want to ask makes sense, but then that other part of you that says you you shouldn't ask is is telling yeah, yeah. you something because you know you know what you're doing. You're not just saying I'm curious. You're saying I want to tell you to stop. But okay, so that also tells us she's dealing with either some anxiety, but also possibly some anger that cannot be related to that. Unfortunately, it can become a addictive kind of a coping where you do it and you feel bad about it afterwards and she probably feels ashamed about it but at the same time Mm -hmm. she might be trying to tell us look i'm hurting so it's like we don't want to let the the scar heal because we're afraid that they won't see that i'm actually in pain so i think that's also a way of her unconsciously to cry out to say she's not okay so even her father, um, I was thinking if she could go to the therapy, but her father never will uh, accept that. Mm. And the mother afraid even ask. 
And I'm in between. Uh, I cannot sleep at night. I don't know what to do. What can I do? I know I cannot do anything because the father and mother there. Yeah. But what is the right thing to do with this girl? So she quit doing it. Well, tell me more. Is it? Are you just talking about the the picking? At, and you said the scabs are on her face. So, uh, she. Um, I I don't know what was in her her nose, especially which is mm. the worst part. I don't know it was a scab or it wasn't. I don't know how she can uh, pick that skin if it's not a scab. Of course, it's not a scab, but then I don't know how she do it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, she's not, she was just, I see her just once a week, mm-hmm. one day. Okay. And other than and that, what do you see that concerns you? Uh, that, that's the only thing. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing. I uh, uh, I don't know what the future she's gonna have. Uh, all the scar gonna be on her face and her skin. Mm-hmm. And she's when she gets a teenager, she's gonna hate that. You're probably and right I'm about older. all those things, but we have to realize we can't get her to just, you know, to try to make her feel like she should stop. She already doesn't like it. And you mentioned you're a grandparent, so even you have less ability to control or influence what's going to happen, even if it's hard for you to, to see that. So mm-hmm. uh, I would say, if anything, try to make sure you don't add to the pressure or add to how she feels. We can almost be sure you're right. As a teenager, she will feel worse, but she feels bad about it now, too. So we don't need to add to her feeling bad about it to help her. If anything, that'll just make her feel worse. So do you think she, we, she, none of us should even... Uh, say anything to her to mention her what you're doing is not we don't say what are you doing just to mention her what what happened to your uh, nose or hands should have shouldn't be even should we ignore her about that i i I mean it's hard to say i wouldn't say ignore it i definitely wouldn't bring it up in front of people or in a way Mm -hmm. She wouldn't mm-hmm. like ever because uh, that's no, just going to make. No, I won't. We won't yeah. do that. Um, do that. And then I'm, I'm assuming your her mom's mom. Yeah. Okay. Her. So I mean, I don't. What does your daughter say about what's going on? Her her daughter just say I don't know what to do, and I know their divorce was one of the reasons was my daughter was going to the uh, doctor. Um, uh, but her husband didn't like it, and that's why she said, I know her husband doesn't let her to go to see it, any psychology or psychology. Sorry, I missed what you said. Doctor. Your daughter was going to see a, a what doctor? Um, he was, um, because her husband was uh, controlling her a lot, she was going to see a doctor, uh, the mentor, okay. not a mentor, but a uh, know what the, the doctor like you like a psychologist um, okay psychologist yeah um, but his, the, for her husband didn't like that so that makes a big trouble and big problem so they, they finally this is divorce she has finally divorced okay but all this uh, is, is just something heavy on my granddaughter's of course well and so you're saying her father won't let her go to therapy I don't think so. 
Uh, well, they I'm, don't believe it because he's American and his family is American. Well, I mean, I don't know. They if don't believe in uh, therapy well, or psychology. I don't know if I would say that's an American thing. If anything, Iranians are. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. It, her husband is American. Is not Iranian. No, no, I don't mean that. Okay, that doesn't mean he's not going to be open to it. He might not be himself, uh, but it doesn't mean as American he won't be. Um, well, the only way I would. As far as getting her help, we also want to see how they can make things better for her. So I don't want to make your, I want also you to be aware of this. We don't want to make your granddaughter the problem. She is just expressing in some ways the dysfunction that exists in this home or in this family, that things are not okay. So, of course, she's in pain and suffering. We want to help her, but we don't want to blame her and make her feel bad that she's the problem. No. So that's something no, also we want to be aware of. But... Um, if they want to get her help or they want to see how they can help her, and even with your daughter, if she talks to the husband, it's, I'm sure he notices that she's not okay, that she's in pain, and that we want to help her get, you know, it's about getting her help, not that we want to take her there because she's crazy or bad, but because she's definitely, look, you know, she's hurting herself. We want to help her from not doing that. But we also want to recognize that if she's hurting herself, that means she's feeling a lot of anger a lot of anxiety something is there we want to help get to that what's underneath i of course i don't want her to pick at her skin but i don't want to just focus on picking on the skin there's something she's feeling that's leading to this and if we're not aware of that and just think about okay let's say we found a way she wears these gloves or something and she never picks at her skin i'm not thinking that that's the solution it seems like she's suffering in a much deeper way than just at the skin level um, her father and her mother, uh, they don't talk to each other. So there is no hope from the father. Um, I don't even father notice that or even know anything about it. Okay. So there is nothing they can get help from the father. Um, and the, my, the main question is, uh, shouldn't we uh, say, uh, or me or her daughter say, that is not good you're doing? I know I shouldn't say that. Um, just... Just ignore. What yeah. I said, I ignore her. You said, no, ignore. Don't <laughs> well, I don't, by ignore, her. I don't mean what I, what I also think, you know, look, if she comes to you and her hand is bleeding, you don't want to mm. pretend like it, because that also shows you don't see her. So you can see it without making her feel bad about it. And mm. it's not that easy because she feels bad about it already. So just pointing it out yeah. is going to make her feel bad. But I don't want you to pretend that if her hand is red, you don't notice her hand is red. You can see it, but don't make that a big deal. But I'm worried that she is uh, under a lot of stress and pressure and doesn't feel uh-huh. good. And sure and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, you know, of course, I don't want her to hurt herself, and especially in a way that might make her look, you know, in a way she doesn't yeah. like, and she'll be feel bad about that. But I'm more worried about as she gets older, what does this mean mm-hmm. about how she's going to deal with her feelings? Because yeah. it shows she's having a hard time managing her emotions. Uh, and as she gets older, the ways she might manage them with either drugs, alcohol, or things could actually be worse than even picking at her skin. And so I would want for your your daughter to even more focus on emotionally, how is she doing and how we can help her. Does she feel like she can express herself? You said she gets very mad at her brother or gets jealous with him. Well, how yeah. does your daughter respond to those things? Because we want to make your granddaughter feel okay to express herself, to to but, feel her feelings, yes. Yeah, when he pushed him, and of course my daughter gets so mad at her and say, 
that not the right duty, uh, don't do that, or maybe even uh, tell him go sit on the corner or something, even though he was 11 years old. But she cannot do anything, cannot say anything, and she she just keeps doing it. She just could because my grandson is very close to the mother, and just like a baby, go to the mommy's lap and sit. And she doesn't want to do that. I think she feels she's so mm, old enough not to do that. So just sit on the computer or picture. Well, but but that that could be an issue too. That she feels like mommy loves my brother mm. more than me. But she she expressed her uh, love to the daughter too. I'm sure she does. I'm not saying she doesn't love her or that she's not mm. going to love her. But my point is that being aware of those dynamics of how does she feel, it seems like the way you're describing them, your granddaughter feels like the bad one and the son is the good one, you know, and that, so I'm sure your daughter loves your granddaughter. I'm not saying she doesn't, but she has to be aware of how your granddaughter's feeling in the home. Does she feel loved? Does she feel accepted? Does she feel that she's equal to her brother or is she getting felt that she's the bad one? And a lot of times one child expresses some things that both children are feeling. So the feeling of the home and the feeling between their dad, there might be a lot of tension and your granddaughter might be the more expressive one. And so your your daughter does have to be very aware of how she's making them both feel. And by f- giving the son too much, you know, of this favoritism is of course going to affect uh, her grand or your, your granddaughter. So I would always look at the what she's doing to her skin it's just like if it's biting nails, if it's whatever it is, of course, we want to help them with that issue. But be aware that it's usually bringing up or it's happening because of something deeper underneath. She's not feeling okay. And so even if somehow she magically stopped picking at her skin, uh, I would be still be worried about what's going on. So I would, when I bring it up to, even to your daughter, it would be more about that aspect and not about the the picking and there's probably nothing you can do when she comes over for no, once a week I that's going to do and I yeah. don't say anything okay good I, I just, yeah because just it's just going to make her feel her. worse if you mm-hmm. make her feel you know she should change it or it's not good or you know sometimes people think we should tell her it looks ugly because that'll make them mm-hmm. not want to look ugly but it just makes them feel like you're saying you're ugly and you're bad so i wouldn't go down any of those paths i would realize she's hurting and she's showing us, like I said before, to me, there's even some kind of connection between, look, I'm bleeding on the inside and I'm showing you on the outside. She's not feeling good. And so that's that's what we want to help her with. And as far as therapy goes, they, they can look for ways to, to, to start that process. She can tell him, look, I, she's not doing well. I'm going to take her to a therapist. She needs that. And of course, also ask the granddaughter, make sure she's okay. And be aware that, again, we don't want to make her feel like she's the problem. She's the bad kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, even maybe they can go to family therapy to make it not about her as the problem. Because I really don't think she's the problem. I just think yeah. there's a lot of pain in that home. And she's yeah. expressing it in that way. Unfortunately, there's nothing they can do. I mean, my daughter cannot do anything. But her father is still fighting with my daughter. Hmm. So there's nothing they can do two together do something for their, just my daughter have to do. So I'm going to tell my daughter I talk to you and um, whatever you said, I'm going to talk to her and see what can we do. Yeah, I hope you, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, obviously I can tell you care a lot and 
you are limited in how much you can do. Um, but I hope she will just be aware that, okay, she's telling us something and that's what's most important is that she's hurting. We want to make her feel good yeah, the best we can. But I, I wish the best for you guys and, and especially for that little girl. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Dr. you. Nice talking Thanks. to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, going into another commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, doctor. Hello. Hi. Thank you for calling. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, loud and clear. Okay. <laughs> you know, I have a daughter who is freshman and in one of the UC uh, system and uh, college in the California. Mm-hmm. And then the thing is that uh, she's not happy. And uh, she's, um, for the, her, for the, in the first uh, semester, she came back for, five, I can say, four or five times home. And um, I, the, and she wants to come back. And, uh, and go to the one of the community college and then go to her dream college that is really hard to get in. But uh, at this point, I really don't know what to do. I mean, uh, uh, I talked to her and I said it's part of, I mean, a couple of times she cried a lot uh, and uh, she doesn't like there. And uh, she said that I'm getting depressed and I don't want to stay here. And... Uh, uh, I just need your help, and I really don't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, stay. I mean, stay on that and tell her you you need to stay, or just welcome her back. I mean, yeah. I really don't know. Yeah, it's it's tough, and these things. I'll, I don't know yet what's the right answer because I don't think it's black and white. If she's um, if she's doing really poorly, then of course we don't want to force her to stay there. But we also know that for a lot of kids or college students going away and going to school can be difficult it, it is challenging so i don't want to just jump to the conclusion that because she doesn't like it she should definitely come home but i also don't want to say that because she should stay and experience it no matter what she should stay even if she's upset so how how is she doing what does she say she's going through how do you see her because like i said we have to assess the situation it's not a, a black and white issue to me so how is she doing you know, at the first uh, two weeks, she was really, uh, you know, call and cry. And actually, she went with a couple of the friends that uh, we know her. Uh, I mean, we know all those kids from childhood mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, from when she was in the kindergarten. So she went with them, but not, uh, you know, her close friends. But uh, so we we all went there and, you know, for the first, uh, I mean, uh, you know, she, I mean, she was 50-50 when she was going there because she didn't accept it to her favorite college. And she said, uh, you know, so, okay, I'm going there. Now she went there and now she she cried. And uh, anytime she wanted to come back, we sent her ticket and she got back and but right now, she said, uh, and when the last time, about a couple of days ago, she was here, I asked her, what do you think? She said, uh, get one-way ticket for me. And uh, I, I really don't know. And I mm-hmm. said, it's part of growing. You need to stay. And uh, she said, I can do the same thing in the community college. I don't want you guys pay that much, and I'm not happy about it. 
I'm going to go to the community college and go to the, my favorite, uh, you know, college uh-huh. that I really now, wanted to go to. the financial, she brought up the money, is that an issue for you guys? Not at all, okay. not at all. So let's... For the, actually, for the one that she is going to, is I we said you have to pay for half of it. Her okay. dream school? Her dream school, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming that's a private school then if you're asking her to do that. No, no, no. Oh. No, her dream school we we, say, we we told her that it's not a joke. You have to pay half of it. But the college that is it she's in the UC Santa Cruz. Okay. But her favorite is USC. Okay. Well, so the thing is going to college is going to be hard as I was saying for a freshman when they're moving for the first time, there's going to be challenges. It's also that she hasn't accepted or she doesn't want to accept it seems like that she's going to that school and so when you then face those challenges you say well see i'm not supposed to be here anyway so you don't accept those challenges you push them away it's it's different very different but it reminds me a little bit of when people felt they were coming to the u.s but they're going to go back to iran so they really didn't want to accept being here fully be here and they were just thinking about going back so she might be using going to usc as her way of escaping what she's going through now, which is that going to college is going to be tough. There's challenges you're going to face. And so I don't think she fully accepted, as you're saying, she was 50-50 about going there. And that probably was part of the problem because it was going to be hard. So then when it's hard, you see, see, I don't like this. I shouldn't be here. Um, but we knew that was going to be hard. It's not that, that that's a surprise. And that's a, a part of the issue is that she... I don't think accepted it when she went there. Now, when you're saying she was 50-50, were you guys pushing her to go anyway, or was it her own decision? Um, I helped her to, uh, I mean, um, I helped her to go. I mean, not push her. Uh, because uh, bef- right before she was going and she was 50-50 and complaining a little bit, I said, okay, don't go. I mean, I said, don't go. But then she decided to go, and I helped her to say on her decision. I mean, because for me, it is okay. I mean, you go, and you're going to experience a new life, that's to me. But she, now she wants to come back. I mean, I really don't know what to do. And she wants to go to the community college, and I really don't know. Well, I mean, and she can do that. But the reason I was asking about the decision is that if she felt like it wasn't her decision... Then, like I was saying before, she doesn't want to accept. At the end, yeah. At the end, it was her own decision. I mean, if she pushed us the same way that she's pushing us to come back, we would say no to her, you know? Okay. And so you think she would say the same thing? She would say, you guys didn't push me. I wanted to go to Santa Cruz. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she no, she's not telling us that you guys push at me or not. She said, I experienced it there. I'm not happy there, and I don't like that college, and I want to come back. That's what she's telling us. Okay. Well, it, it's tough. I mean, at the end, she, you do have to give her the space to make the decision. You know, she brought up the money, and that's just an excuse because you're saying that's not part of the issue at all. Um, no, not at all. I mean, the, we we said that we said that okay is a kind of yeah. I mean, you should you, we we say the things that okay is a kind of we have to pay and you you know it's just not to not really is issue for us. But she, uh, we said that the uh, college that you want to go that uh, you have to pay half of it. You know that's what we said. But why is that she has to pay half of it? Because financially, a little bit, yeah, for it, us. Okay, 
it's harder to afford that. All right. Now, um, when you say you bring up the money, you guys do mention that you're paying for her to go to school now? Yeah, yeah. We, we, I mean, we, she's going and we don't have any problem. No, that. I know. But, but do you bring that up to her that, well, we're paying so you should go there and make sure you get your education there because we're paying for it? No, we didn't say that. Okay, no, good. No, because some no, parents will... I am not happy. I am not happy that she wants to come back, but uh, her father is okay. Huh. And um, the thing is that we both pay. I mean, it's, it's not the issue, no. We don't say that, okay, we are paying that you have to go. Yeah. No, we okay. didn't say that. So, father, do you think father wants her to come back because of her or because he misses her? He listens to her more than... No, no, misses her, misses her. <laughs> Oh no 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 no! It's not no, because no. he misses her and wants her home. He she misses she misses her. Uh, I mean, my daughter misses her friendship over here. I can say that. Okay. Well, yeah. That that's. She misses be... her friendship. She misses the party that she's going here. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what so she has the FOMO. But not not really about that. No. She says she she thinks that whatever I am doing, what uh, the way that I am studying there, I can do it here too, and I have everything. That's what she feels. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, um, you know, again, at the end, she's going to have to make the decision. Uh, my concern is that she's going away from just the hard part of it and not that it's hard as in very, very bad, but hard as in it's difficult, but it'll help her grow. But you can't force her at the end either because then it's going to get even worse um, if you force her to stay there. So I would explore with her more what's going on. What does she want to do? What does she think is the right plan? It seems like she's made up her mind the way you say she's talking about it, but you are having a hard time with it. So what is it hard for you to accept that if she comes back? For me, I think if she goes with the same, uh, stay with the same friends, um, my party, uh, I mean, might change her mind again. I don't know. I mean, her friends change her mind. I don't, she's not, she's a really tough girl, but uh, she, she keep on saying that, uh, I mean, uh, the, uh, last night I sent her lots of great, uh, good grades that she had, it, and she said, I'm glad that you're believing in me. I said, yeah, I'm believing in you, but I mean, the thing is that I want you to have a right decision and have a goal in your life. She said, I have a goal in my life. Okay, what's her goal in her life? To go to the college. I mean, to go to the uh, mm-hmm. her dream college. Yeah. That's what she said. Uh, yeah, I mean, the little bit I'm concerned that there's a lot of this, like in dream, and then in reality, things are harder than in the dream. And even transferring to a school like USC won't be easy, but, you know, she can... She can, um, she can, of course, do that, and she would have to just get good grades there. Uh, I would, I can understand your concern that is she running away from the hardship, or is she also just going back into a comfort zone? Do you like the friends that she has? Is there any reason why you don't want her to come back for that reason because of her friend group? I really don't know. I mean, she's. I I, I cannot say. I mean, she's eighteen, and she can have. I cannot. Uh, her group of friends, they're okay. I mean, they're supporting her. She's having fun. She's she's good. I mean, I cannot judge that. I mean, I really don't. I cannot say they're bad or good. They're mm-hmm. okay. They're having their party together. Okay. And Santa Cruz is very, yeah. uh, it can be very different from Los Angeles. So I don't know if she's a, a kind of person who prefers the LA type of lifestyle and things compared to Santa Cruz. 
lifestyle, so maybe she doesn't feel like she quite belongs there. I don't know if that's also part of what she's experiencing. She said, yeah, she said my experience is really difficult. It's not an easy uh, call. I mean, uh, having a friend here. I mean, it's only freshman. I mean, I don't, she said yeah. I'm having a friend here. It is not easy. And uh, I, I said in the first semester, she, come, she comes home four or five, five times. This is her first semester, I mean, right? Time she wanted to come, we say okay. Yeah, come. and you know sometimes that's not that we tell her she can't come, but sometimes we don't want to allow for that because she's coming home four or five weekends out of ten weekends. So of course it's going to be harder for her to make friends when she's not there most of the weekends when people are getting together and, and hanging out. So, uh, but she said it's really hard to get together on the weekend over there. She said Santa Cruz is really hard to get together on the uh, weekend. Okay. I don't think that's probably likely. I'm sure people are getting together in every college across the world when, you know, whenever they want to, if they want to. Um, sometimes people are more disconnected, but uh, it doesn't seem like she's given it her full shot or that it's really something she wants to do. And so, unfortunately, we, we're not going to be able to force her anyway. So I think you might have to let her come back. But just being aware of what's going on, what she's going through, why does she think, you know, very common thing that people say, like high schoolers say, oh, my, my teacher sucked or my teacher didn't teach me anything. And sometimes that's the case. Of course, there are students and uh, teachers like that. But a lot of times it's something they're doing. So I, I want you to be aware not to blame her at all but to focus on what happened there. Did she really want to go there? Did she want to make it work? What was happening for her? So at least she learned something from this experience. Uh, I think it's probably a good idea for her to finish. I think there's only two, three weeks left anyway. Um, so to at least finish this term makes sense to not yeah, end it. Yeah, that's what she's doing. Okay. That's what she said. She said, I'm going to finish this semester. I mean, and then uh, come, go here to the things. And then one thing that she mentioned to me, she said, okay, I'm going to go to the local community college, and then uh, if I change my mind, I can go back. That's what she said. I mean, pr most probably she wants to get a leave of absence or something like that. Which, uh, I don't know. I'm not happy about that. But yeah, I, 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 I mean, I don't know what to do at this point. I just thought maybe you can... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say what you should do because, you know, at the end of the day, you can't control what she does. You can't forbid her from coming back or, or decide where she goes to school. And I could get your concerns of what's what's driving this. Is it really the right decision for her? Is she avoiding trying to go through this hard time where she actually could grow and have a good experience being away from home um, and those things that I think could be good for her to grow, but she has to want it. We can't force her to do that. So I, I think I would listen to her, but not just, it's not just, uh, okay, either let her come or don't, but making sure you talk to her about what's going on, what she's going through, what happened, what did she learn from it? And then, and then that, that's all you really can do. But I don't think to forbid her is going to work anyway, and it'll more than likely just backfire. So we have to, at the end, give her that freedom to decide. Yeah, and yeah, I know that's 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 my problem. And sometimes I feel kind of no, we have to stick on it and say, okay, no, you have to stay, and uh, uh, you know, there is no chance that you come back. But but I told her that I said, okay, when you come back, the rule of the house gonna be changed. That's what I said. In, <laughs> the house in what is ways? Not the same. <laughs> in many ways that. Um, that's what I said, that, okay, you cannot stay late at night. You cannot, you know, 
is more study, is more college, is more, is different. She said, I can, uh, she, I, I read uh, the conversation that we had uh, that I said, okay, she told me that, okay, if I stay there, that means I have more freedom than uh, coming here. I said, yeah, you are adult now. I mean, here is my house. That's what I said. <laughs> well, I would be, uh, be aware of not getting into a, a power struggle with her or in a way punishing her for coming back. You know, if she's making a decision you know, if you think it's you want to change the rules of the home because you think that makes sense, you can talk to her about that. But I wouldn't punish her for coming back either. Now, there is going to be a difference if she was living in a dorm room and, you know, she can do whatever she wants. You can't control her there. And maybe at home it won't be exactly that same freedom or she's dealing with you guys more, obviously. So that will be different. But I wouldn't say, OK, it's going to be stricter than even when you were a senior in high school because you're being punished for coming back home. So I wouldn't punish her. Um, uh-huh. and you know, or I don't know if you're saying that cause you're afraid she won't exactly. study hard. Yeah. But I really wanted to, yeah, you know, just, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm afraid that she comes back here, that she goes to the same, uh, with the, stay with the same friends and everything that, um, not continue. I mean, uh, her education, but she, her personality is not like that, you know. Okay, then. That everyone can influence on her. Okay, then but believe in that too. Her comfort zone is here. Her yeah. comfort zone with the friends, the car, the everything, the, you know, providing well, here. So it's here. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's I was, that's what my, uh, one thing I was just thinking of is, is it the comfort that she's coming back to, which isn't necessarily good to come back to comfort. This could have been a time that she would have grown, but we can't force someone either. I don't think you can try to, but I think it's probably going to backfire. So, um, it, it's, I, I understand your predicament. It's not easy. And I, I think it would be nice for her to try it for a year or one more semester, but she has to be okay with doing that and seeing how she feels. And she can even transfer, from uh, Santa Cruz to USC, you know, those that's also possible. So it's not like it takes away that opportunity. Um, so, you know, you have to talk with her, let her make the decision, but I would ask her really what's going on and why. And when she says something like the money, just say, that's not, that's not part of the issue. Let's talk about what it is that you are going through. Cause that's not, uh, if you told her the money is stressing you out, that would be different, but it's not. So at the end, you're gonna have to let her decide, which is tough in these things, but um, either way, that'll help her grow too if she's making the decisions rather than you or her father. So I would give her that space, but uh, make sure that you're aware of how you react to that. And if you don't like that she came back, be aware that you're not trying to punish her for that either because that's not going to help her or help you. Yeah, 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 I won't, but yeah. I mean, I really thought maybe it help a little bit that she knows that I'm not doing, I'm not, I'm not going to punish okay. her. She knows I am really easy going that with her. But um, I, I said I respect your decision, but um, uh, I'm not happy there because it's part. That's what I mean. I keep on saying that it's part of growing and you better stay. Just push yourself for another semester. And, but she, yeah, but once she, she decides and she comes back, be make sure you don't have a mindset of, well, I told you so or I knew I was right because then you're not going to be on her side and not be helping her. You're going to in a way be against her. So be very aware of that too, that you don't have that mindset that once she accepts to come here, if she does, that you are there to help her, not to somehow prove her wrong or um, show her, see, told you you should have stayed there. This was a mistake because obviously you want what's best for her. 
So we want to make sure we're not fo- yeah. focused on trying to be right and trying to do what's right. Uh, I do have to get off to get make, uh, make sure I get to some other callers as well. But um, okay, sure. thank you for calling. Okay. Good luck. Thank you so much. Thank sure. you. Take Thanks, care. Doctor. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Going to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hambra, you're on the air. Yes. Hi, Hi. how are you, Dr. Good, thanks. thanks for calling. Good, good. Uh, I'm calling from Washington, D.C. Okay. Uh, regarding my husband. Uh, he has a bipolar, and this is his um, third time it happens in our life. Uh, two years ago, he had very, very bad depression, and now he's manic. You know, he mm-hmm. took me to Starbucks two weeks ago, and out of nowhere, he told me he wants to divorce me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he talks too much. He acts weird. And, uh, you know, he hugs me, and he said he loves me. Two minutes later, he said, no, I love you as a sister. And we have three beautiful children. They are really, really upset at my husband. How old are the kids? Um, The uh, oldest one, she's 23. And my um, second daughter, she's 21. And my son, he's 19. And, uh, you know, he said he's not sick. Um, He moves out soon. And he has a lawyer now. We are going to... Um, separation and all that, and I don't know, I really don't know what Mm. to do. Every time he comes home, I feel so anxious, very, you know, worried, and uh, I'm really, really confused, and he said he just wants to, you know, to move out, divorce me for sure. Every time it happens, uh, you know, like he's bipolar. It happens 2008, before that, after that. He said he wants to divorce me every time. This is not his first time. Hmm. And we are getting married for 25 years. And he tell me that, you know, when we get divorced, I'm going to see another woman. I'm going to, I'm not going to stay single. I'm going to remarry. And, you know, he confused me and also my kids and uh, we all are in really really bad situation now and uh, i don't know what to do now has he ever um received treatment for the bipolar or taking medication he sees a doctor he takes medication uh debicode are you sure he uh, stays on the medication he is on medication now yes okay because as you might know a lot of times with uh bipolar there can be uh, the clients or the patients don't take the medication because they like the feeling of uh, being manic or they don't like the feeling they get from the medication. So that's why I was asking if you're sure he's actually taking the medication. I'm positive. Okay. Yeah, every night my kids give, you know, they said that you have to take it and um, he take it for sure. I know he takes his medication. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sleep that much. He wakes up at 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock at night. He goes for swimming. After that, he goes for running. When he comes from work, he goes for walking. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's dancing a lot. And he said, what's wrong with that? Yeah. He talks too much. 
He said he's a Russian, very weird things. And uh, my mother-in-law, she's here now. She's having a hard time. And, you know, uh, I honestly don't know. I'm not, the, I don't know what to do. I'm not the, yeah. the own, you know, I don't want to divorce him. He's a really nice man, really good husband, really good father. I don't know what should I do. And so normally when he's not manic, you're saying he isn't this way at all. He's very committed. He's very... He's very friendly. He's mm-hmm. he's okay. We never had any problem. I don't know why uh, why he acts like this. And he said there is no way... Uh, we get back together. He for sure he wants to divorce me. Uh, there is no question about it. He gets hmm. angry very fast. He sees a therapist for his um, anger management, and um, I see a psychiatrist. You see uh, a psychiatrist too. I it's for more than ten years. Yeah. No, but you see his psychiatrist, or you see it for yourself. We both see um, one psychiatrist. And he told me, my psychiatric, he told me he's not, he's not uh, able to give me any information about my husband to me. It's not mm-hmm. uh, legal. Right. So, um, but I really don't know what to do. If I want to see a lawyer, should I tell them he's bipolar? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to. That's, uh-huh. I mean, not, uh, if you go, you mean for divorce? He wants to divorce. Yeah. I'm not the one who wants to No, I understand. Divorce. If you do, I mean, of course, it's going to be part of the case. It's This is very, at least from what you're saying, this is a very sad situation because it appears when his bipolar, when he becomes manic, then he becomes this way. But normally he's very committed to you. From what you're saying, everything is fine. And then when he has these manic episodes, he becomes this way. That's the only time he talks about divorce. No, every time he gets sick, he said he wants to divorce. Right, but I'm saying the only time is when he's manic, not any other time. Yes, only time when he's manic, yes. These th- you said it's three times? Yes. Okay. And when you talk to him later after the first two times, does he, what, did he say anything? Like, I realized I was manic, I don't know what I was thinking. What, what, what happened the first two yes. times? After he, got, he saw a doctor, he said, I don't know why uh, I make this decision. I'm so sorry. Uh, I love you so much. You're the best wife. You're the best mom for our kids. But now, I don't know. It's, he's a totally different person. Hmm. When was the last time? Himself. You said the first time was 2008, I think, right? No, before that, too. It had, it, this is the third time. Right. So what were the what were the times that the years? Uh, two thousand eight and two thousand three and two thousand three two thousand eight. Two years ago, very bad depression and this time manic. Okay, but as far as the manic episodes was two thousand three two thousand eight and then now. Yes. So it was like like eleven years ago was last time. Eleven years ago was the last time. Hmm. And, um, you know, he took me to lawyer office and he told me uh, to sign a paper, uh, which I don't have any right to his business. And the lawyer, he explained everything to me. 
And my husband, it happens in 2008, my husband said, um, I want you to sign this paper and I come back. I come back home. If you don't, I'm not going to come home. And because I love him so much and I wanted him to be in my life, and I said, okay. But um, I, I really don't know what is his plan. Yeah. No, that's very difficult because it seems like uh, you feel like you're not even talking to him when he's manic. It's like he's a different person. Yeah, but then, he said he's okay. He's right. not sick. I'm the one who is sick. Uh, he said this house, you know, the house we all live, it's like a jail for him. He mm-hmm. just want to go out. And I told him you can move on even for two years, but why you want to divorce me? He said, I'm not happy with you. I just want to go. Well, this is what, when people are manic, they have this, they become very impulsive. It's almost like uh, the part of our brain that is aware of what we want sometimes, but is puts that under control, goes away. Because, of course, people will feel attracted to other people, or they might have a desire to go travel or buy things or do certain things, but usually we keep that in check. But he is just going so far on the extreme of his impulses of what he just wants in the moment. Um, and he feels like you're holding him back from letting him do all these things. Normally he would hold himself back from making these types of decisions. But right now it's almost like that part of him is shut off. So he's just seeing the things he wants to do, to enjoy, to have fun. And he sees you as getting in the way of that. And so even what he said himself is interesting about when people are manic, because when you talk about the symptoms of mania, sometimes it sounds good, at least when you start increased self-confidence, lack of a need for sleep, increased energy. These things can sound good, but actually in reality, when it manifests itself, it's all those things too extreme. And so the person thinks of themselves in a grandiose way, not just more confidence, but in a way that's not realistic, that's out of touch with reality. They become very risky and make bad decisions. So it's not that they're doing good things. They can be very difficult to communicate with. They talk too much. They don't really hear you. They jump back and forth between different ideas. They just become too much of what in a lower way might be good if it was less, but in this extreme case, it's really very difficult to, to be in any kind of relationship with them when they're in that state. Yeah. And so this is a difficult position for you. You have three kids. He's saying, and he's adamant that he wants a divorce. You're fairly sure it's about him being in a manic state, but you don't know what to do. Um, I mean, I, I think the psychiatrist, I understand this is why it's hard to see two people who are married or who are related in some way, but it seems like you need to be involved somehow with what's going on or understand what's happening. I'm not sure what the psychiatrist is telling him about, you know, what is making him make these decisions. Uh, maybe he's on the medications, but just every so often it's not enough and he still has a manic episode, but I'm not sure what you can do. You can't stop him if he files from divorce. Um, you can try to talk to his lawyer, but a lot of times the lawyers, they're just trying to lawyer. They're not trying to intervene and see what's wrong with his mental health. They're like, this person came to me and wants to file for divorce. I'm going to help them file for divorce. But it seems like in a way he's not in his right mind completely, or he doesn't have all of his mind when he's making this decision. So I can see how that really does put you in a very difficult place of what do you do now? It is really, really hard. Even my, uh, my, 
second daughter, she said, Mom, I cannot go to school anymore. Mm. She dropped her class. My son, he's very upset. It, it's a really, really bad situation. Yeah. And I don't know what to do. I don't know. When, you know, he told me, just go see a lawyer. Um, I'm not going to change my mind. There is no way I change my mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I called a couple of lawyers. I don't know anything about the law, but I'm sure I can learn from them. And, you know, it, it's, it's really, really confusing, really hard for all of us. Oh, yeah, it's very, it is very hard, and it puts you in a very difficult position that you're afraid if you go forward with the process of divorce, you might end up divorced or go down a path you don't want to but also he's pushing you and you don't he's not leaving you a lot of choices because he won't hear you when you tell him um you know you had this feeling before don't you remember because what he he's feeling right now as it is really with all of us it just feels so real to him that that's why he tells you no i'm not changing my mind i'll never change my mind this is how i'm always going to feel but it's probably not the case you know, it's probably just what he's going through now, and he just doesn't have that insight. He doesn't have the awareness. Sometimes if someone is depressed, they might realize, you know, I know I'm depressed. That's why I'm seeing things in a dark way. But sometimes when they're depressed also, they just think, no, really, everything is bad. And for him, it's almost the opposite. He sees this good side of everything, but he sees his own life as something exciting, and he has so much potential and so many things he wants to do, and you're the thing that's holding him back. Um, yeah, he's, he yeah. said he's very confident and self-confident. It's high. He's he said I'm a really, really. He's a businessman. He's really, you know, successful, and everything. And um, I, you know, I I don't know what yeah. should I do now. Should now, I? Yeah, let me. I sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I'm looking at the time. I'm past the commercial break, but I want to wrap up with you so i'm going to put you on hold i want to come back and also not just about what you're doing but what you're feeling because it must be very difficult what you're going through so i'm going to put you on hold and we'll talk after the break okay okay great thank you sure. so much my pleasure <laughs> all right we'll be right back welcome back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to her now caller are you still there Yes, I am. Okay, so you were sharing uh, what's been going on with you and your husband, married 25 years, have three kids, but he has bipolar disorder, and when he gets in a manic phase, uh, three times it's happened now that he then gets this decision to get divorced, and it's happening now, and it puts you in a very difficult situation. But as I mentioned, I know you're thinking about what to do, which I understand, of course. But I'm also wondering, what have you been feeling? What has that experience been like? Because I want to give you the chance to share it, but also for people who maybe experience something not exactly like this, this is very unique, but similar to you, to, to hear that. So what, what has it been like for you? Um, it makes me very, very upset, mm-hmm. um, very depressed, mm. sad, uh, cry, I cry so much, and I think he, when he sees me like I'm like this week, uh, he enjoys it. He said, you know, um, he said, I feel really, really bad, and uh, my kids are very upset too, but um, I don't have any idea to like to address it or help him you know he said he's not sick he's okay 
he just want to go, you know, get the divorce and all that. What What do you mean when you say you think he enjoys when you're not doing well? Yeah, he he seems to be happy when I see when I tell him, you know, I really love you. We um, I married him when I was nineteen, and I always stay home taking care of my kids, and uh, it doesn't mean anything to him. I told him, you don't don't uh, tell me you love me because you don't, mm. and I start to cry, and he was laughing at me. Mm. And he wow. told my kids, see how your mom is weak? He cried wow. when I told her I love her. And um, it's not easy. No, that's not. And I mean, that sounds like a very manic person, you know, just so out of touch and just so in their own world in a way and see- seeing things in a certain way. Um, I do want to ask this too. Of course, what you're going through is very difficult. But I'm also wondering... Outside of these times with the manic and, you know, you're saying everything is good, but do you feel like there could be some problems there that have always been there as well? This does seem like it's very extreme what he's talking about or going through now, but were there other things that were there? Yeah. Yeah. He said, I'm very dependent on him. Mm -hmm. He said, I really wanted to marry with someone who is very, um, with a uh, woman who's who can do her things by herself, not uh, dependent on me. Mm-hmm. And um, I have my uh, licensed institution, but I never worked in my whole life. And he, uh, he said he's not happy with our um, sex. Mm-hmm. He said, you're always shy. I don't know why. And, um, you know, my parents come here. Last time they came here, they were here for six months, very long time, um, and he got very upset. He said, I want to have my own uh, privacy. They stay for um, such a long time, doesn't make me happy. And um, the last time they were here, my mom, uh, she had, we just find out she had uh, breast cancer. Mm. So I wanted, you know, it's my mom, and I love her, and... Um, I just wanted to keep her here to do her surgery and all that. Then I went to Iran with them for a month. Then I came back, and everything was upside down. Mm-hmm. It happened like this. But, you know, as other couples, we have, all of couples have a difficult time, problems sure. they want to solve. And he told me, when I came back from Iran, he told me, I want you, me and you go to see a marriage counselor. And all of a sudden he said, no, I don't want to see anybody. I just want to get divorced. Hmm. Well, yeah, obviously that was an extreme reaction. And the reason why I asked you about the issues in general, it does seem like his bipolar is obviously what's driving what's happening now. Um, even in the book I was talking about today, I mentioned it, they did, this therapist talked about his work with a couple. The situation was a little different because the husband had a a mild stroke, a minor stroke, but he had a manic episode afterwards. And then he went back to quote unquote normal, but they realized that eventually it came out that they had some big issues underneath the surface that they were both avoiding before this even happened. So it wasn't just that he had this manic episode and it was separate from everything. There might have been an exaggeration of some things he was feeling. 
So it yeah. could be that some of these things were there already, um, the things that he's feeling. Now, the way he's dealing with it, of course, is horrible and not productive and just not fair. But I do want you to think about that as well, that if, let's say, his mania goes away and he comes back to earth, so to speak, and doesn't want to get a divorce, don't just think, okay, well, everything is good now. Maybe there are some things there that you guys need to look at and to not ignore those things. Now, it's difficult for you because I can see how because of how extreme he is in these moments, you don't want to rock the boat or bring something up because you're maybe afraid he's going to go back to this way or, you know, now things are finally calm. Why do I want to mess them up? But I'm saying this actually strengthen what's there and to take away the problems that could actually be real, not in the ways he's describing them, but that are real between you and him. It might not be just that everything is perfect, but he has bipolar disorder. It could be that there are other issues for you and him to face as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Have you guys ever gone to couples therapy together? No, never. Hmm. Never. He sees a therapy. It's for a couple of months. Um, hmm. He sees a therapy for his um, anger problem. But uh, we never see a couple of, you know, a family therapy or, um, you know, marriage therapy, nothing like that. No, we never tried. Well, I hope you'll have that opportunity. We don't know. He might have made his decision and he's gone and he won't ever come back. But it's possible because this pattern has happened before that he will uh, come back. I'm not sure. Um, we can't say for sure what's going to happen. We don't know. I know you're saying you know he's taking his medication. I hope he is. And yes, it could be that does. even with the medication, his, his mania is coming back in this way. Um but, you know, there could be things that were there, like I said, for you to work on. It's very difficult. And I, I, I can't give you any advice you get right now is not going to feel good. Because if you get a lawyer, it's not going to feel good. Uh, if you don't, you can't just sit there and do nothing either. And just yeah. hearing him being this way is difficult. One thing to try to do, I did mention that be aware of, well, what are the actual issues? That's real. But the way you're describing him, he is in a way out of touch with reality. So try not to take what he says personally, if that's possible. It's, I know it's easier said than done. And realize that it does seem like he's speaking from his sickness right now or speaking from that illness, not yeah, from reality. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I just mentioned, uh, like, yesterday morning, he he talked when he was in shower. Mm -hmm. He was talking, I don't know, he was singing, and just as, as just I told you, you know, he's dancing a lot. Yeah, well, singing in the shower is pretty common. I sing in the shower sometimes. Even no, when he I'm talks. <laughs> yeah. At the beginning, he talked, then he starts Talks, to... you mean, to himself or talking to you? No, talk to himself. Okay. And that, I mean, that's not, it depends on exactly what. That's always not alarming. And dancing itself doesn't have to be bad. And I get what you're saying. He says, look, I'm dancing. That's good. And for a lot of people, it sounds like a positive thing. But there's a way it seems like you experience him where there's, it's too much. It doesn't feel connected like he's really there. It's a, it's an exaggeration. And that's what doesn't make it feel good. Because if someone's in a good mood, that can feel okay. But when people are manic, it's this way that it feels a little out of control. It doesn't feel very real and it's too much. So I understand that that's, uh, you know, concerning. How are the kids dealing with all that? Uh, they're not happy at all. They, yeah. 
they are not happy. And like I said, uh, my uh, middle daughter, she just dropped off uh, her classes. And But um, do they, uh, you know, I'm actually looking at the time. We just have about a minute or two left, so I'm sorry that I cut you off. But do they see it as, okay, dad has this mental illness and it comes out in this way sometimes? How do they understand it? Yeah, they, they you know, they've been through this before, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they all know what's going on. Um, my, um, you know, my second daughter, she's very close to him. And uh, she said, Dad, you have to see a different doctor. Please don't do this. Don't do that. But he's a very stubborn person. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is one, one, you know, this is how he feels. And he just want to go for divorce. And he thinks everything will be okay uh, when he leaves us. Yeah, that's Uh, sad. I mean, that's unfortunate. And for the kids uh, to hear that, that he'll be happier without all of you, if he says it that way, that's... Very sad, and I can see how that hurt her so much. And even that, that the same thing I was saying to you, hopefully giving her that message that as hard as it is to hear your dad say those things, to realize he's ill, and it's not about you actually to not take it personally, but it, it's going to take its toll. And yeah. it, it could be if your husband is, is so ill that he won't be able to be a good husband or father, at least around them all the time. Hopefully, I think his medication needs to be looked at or something has to be changed or it's just something we'll have to accept maybe every five ten years he has an episode like this and you have to even ask yourself even if he does want to be with you can you handle that so don't assume you have to stay it could be that this mental illness makes it too difficult if it can't be managed for you even if he does want to be back with you so don't um forget that possibility you know he himself said you might be too dependent on him so we don't want you to feel forced to stay with him in some way. Now, I do have to wrap up the show, and uh, we could have, of course, talked much more about this, but good luck. It's a very difficult situation you're in. Thank you so much, Dr. Holakui. Nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, too. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Same. Sure. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you for Susie Khatami for joining me. Again, we're doing the toy drive for Mattel Children's Hospital here in Los Angeles. So thank you for, to Ghazola here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We have a wonderful day.